BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Why would someone think there was a conspiracy behind Stanley Kubrick's The Shining? Or be terrified of the Screen Gems logo? Or wake up in the middle of the night believing strangers from another dimension were trying to communicate with them? These are the kinds of questions Rodney Asher asks in his documentaries Room 237, The S from Hell, and The Nightmare. This is part two of our interview. You'll hear about Rodney's films, his career, and the resurrection of an unfinished Andy Kaufman album. So the hotel that is the exterior, that's the one in Colorado, right? No, you know, there's like three hotels that mm-hmm. can maybe have a claim of being the real Overlook Hotel. Mm-hmm. In uh, Estes Park, Colorado, there is the Stanley Hotel, whose name is a funny coincidence. Oh, um, yeah. Which was the hotel that Stephen King stayed in on the last right. day of the season um, where that inspired The Shining. Right. And which has really taken ownership of The Shining in a way. Like they have a film festival. They're now a horror film festival, and they have like a, they sell a lot of Shining merch in, uh, the, in the lobby, in the, in the lobby, and in the uh-huh. bookstore. Yeah. They, Typewriter uh, ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> they shot. They uh, on Channel Forty Two. Uh-huh. They show The Shining on a loop oh, wow. all day, every day. Wow. Um, so I mean, they re- and they shot the Stephen King written and produced. Um, McGarris directed TV miniseries of The Shining with in the Stephen 90s there. Stephen Weber, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, with Stephen yeah, Weber yeah. and... The six part. Yeah, and um, what's it, Rebecca de Mornay. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Um, was that any good? It's pretty good. I don't. I never saw it. I it, saw it it's... Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's clearly a correction, right. so to speak, mm-hmm. to the movie that features certainly a lot more about alcoholism. Which is which is you know a big theme of the book and a big thing of what Stephen King was going through. Right. You know that one. You know one of the you know many issues I think that Stephen King had with the Kubrick movie, um, and you actually see you actually see Jack doing some work around the hotel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> actually, being a handyman. Yeah, because yeah, he, he, does, he doesn't do nothing in the movie. No. Mm-hmm. He he does, like you see him like on the roof fixing tiles uh, and. Yeah. He's do, you know he's 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 making an effort and mm-hmm. he drives into town to go to an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Um, um, do they tear down the hotel in the miniseries? Oh, that would be that would be telling. <laughs> um, but is that how it is in the book? It's more close to it's the always, book. Right? It's yeah. much closer. But yeah. you know, but you know, you can never be a completely faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, and what's really good about the miniseries, especially if you. Um, have it on DVD. Listen to the commentary track, which is with Mick Garris, the director, and Stephen King. Um, oh, and Stephen King talks a lot about how personal and autobiographical that story it was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no wonder he was mad. Yeah. About the yeah. So um, we were talking about hotels that claim to be the real right. hotel. Stanley. So the Stanley is the is mm-hmm. it's a white wooden hotel, and actually, if you have the 
hardcover first edition of <laughs> the book. That's the hotel that oh. it, it looks kind of like a um, V.C. Andrews joint on the cover. Uh-huh. Um, and the hotel <laughs> yeah. on it is based on the Stanley. Then there is the um, Timberline Lodge um, in Oregon, which they shot some helicopter exteriors from at the beginning. So the exterior of it looks like the Timberline, uh-huh. and then they rebuilt the front of it on a, in the back lot in London uh-huh. for the scenes where the characters are walking around. Mm-hmm. In the interior, a lot of it is based on the Iwani Hotel in Yosemite. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. That I'm surprised that no one has... Is that carpet pattern reproduced now as a commercially yeah. available carpet pattern? Well, I don't know about like a huge rolls of interior model of certainly as like a collectible uh-huh. like the guys at Mondo the like um, you know have like bath mats and clothing oh, okay. and yeah. floor mats and um, small like you know small carpet mm-hmm. um, that, that pattern has certainly been exploited commercially mm-hmm. And there's like a high-end version of that Apollo T-shirt that I think Coach made. It's like $1,200, you know, Whoa. like couture, like sweater. Um, of the Apollo 11 sweater? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That Danny's yeah. got on? That's a pretty sweet sweater. Yeah, well, you should see the Coach one. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. <laughs> now, growing for up for a little, for a special someone in your life. <laughs> did you, did, were you a huge Cubic fan going into this? Oh yeah, 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 he was always you know one of my one of my favorites, and mm-hmm. one of my and and you know when I was, you know, first getting into movies, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first directors who I knew by name and whose work I would kind of you know associate mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 movies together. I think did did two thirty seven come out around the same time that that show was at was it at LACMA the show that was the Kubrick? Did you go to that thing? Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah, the, um, you know, not? I'm not sure. Or Mocha or Lacma. We certainly debuted. We did our festival tour before then. Uh huh. Um, I think it was. It was around thirteen. Yeah, it was around the time you know that we had our our theatrical release. Mm-hmm. You know, which again felt like, you know, I started becoming obsessed with coincidences in mm-hmm. the wake of that movie and. Mm-hmm. And more, and you know, and the and the more you pay attention to that stuff, the more it starts to happen. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that was not an insignificant one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, that, there was. Uh, did you know about that show at all? I remember hearing about it. I remember it was really great. wanting to go. Yeah, and didn't go to it. It was amazing because it was also like they would kind of juxtapose like other artworks that were similar to things. Like they had like this black painting that was like right next to like a, that was was like the monolith in one room uh-huh. or like uh, you know like someone's. I think maybe Rosenberg or something about about space shuttles to go with 2001. Do they have that Arbus photo of the twins? I think I don't remember. They have the dresses, right? I think they hung the dresses. They hung up. the dresses of the twins from the yeah. movie. But like, there's that Arbus photo of the of two girls. Real, of, of two girls. Yeah. Um, Which he's referencing, kind of, right? I have to believe. Yeah, because that predates it. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard him. I, I ever came across an interview where he commented on it, mm-hmm. and he knew Diane Arbus. Okay. There's and he was a photographer starting out. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. like as in high school, he mm-hmm. was like fo- uh, a photographer for Look Magazine. He was kind Whoa. of a pro- he was a kind of a prodigy. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, you know, as a still photographer. Um, Wait, so Diane Arbus, right? Mm-hmm. She has a photograph of the two twins mm-hmm. that are in the movie. No, okay. of a t- of a pair of twins holding hands that was kind of eerie. Yeah, and 
you wouldn't be blamed for looking at that photo and yeah. believing it was the inspiration for the twins. I, I've definitely seen that photo and been confused, and like it made me think of that. Right and it, away. it predated the movie. It definitely predated. Yeah. Interesting. No, I, I never got to see that exposition, but I really wanted to. I think he, they have, I think Kubrick's copy of the novel where he's making notes on it of yeah, things that's he should cool. change. That was, but I mean, you couldn't flip through it, obviously, but it was like behind glass, but that was the kind of stuff they had there. They had all this, they had this whole room dedicated to a project that he never did about, uh, I think kind of about the Holocaust. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Aryan papers. Mm-hmm. Um, there might've been more than one. Um, and, I'm, sh- I'm I'm showing that this has been a couple of years since I was deep into this. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a whole room about Napoleon too. Okay. Yeah. Which is one that came he, that came you know kind of close to getting made. Mm-hmm. Um, As a storyboard guy, did you the, all the storyboards for AI were pretty interesting. Oh yeah, it, they were cool. Yeah, because that's well, I guess what Spielberg was referencing. Well, you know, it's hard to say how much of it you know he 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 reinvented mm-hmm. um, ba- from you know from from the way that Kubrick was going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that, but that concept art was really beautiful, and Chris Cunningham had think had he done did. like work thinking of what the alien, what the robot kid was going to look like with Kubrick before he died. What are some music videos that you worked on? You said you worked on music videos other than this. Just yeah, I don't know. There, some of them are on YouTube. Yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure how many of them that I would. Um, Want to encourage people to go to? Yeah, it's a work for hire more situation. Well. I mean, a lot of them I was happy to do, but um, you know, I don't know that you know, your sometimes you know your ambitions are um, higher than your abilities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, so I, I don't necessarily think that I got them where I wanted them to be, mm-hmm. or where I would want them to be yeah. today in retrospect. Right. Well. When I brought up the thing about uh, not having live action, I, th- I was thinking about more like in opposition to how heavily the nightmare is a yeah. live action film. So maybe that's maybe more of the direction. Like what made you, I guess you have all this background in, in all kinds of filmmaking. Sure. But you, I, I watched it and like this is basically kind of like, an, both those movies, I guess all three of these things, well, S from Hell, Room 237, Nightmare, it's kind of about like the unreliable narrator, right? It's like you just kind of also like the thing you're saying from UCB or improv, right? Like just what take this world literally, like whatever mm-hmm. the world someone's thinking of, take it as seriously as you can. And then you'll see what comes out of that. And the humor might be in there. Or not that that one's really humor oriented. Yeah, um, in, in, in broad strokes, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly those projects were about trying to um, put the audience into the heads of these people to get them to see the world the way they mm-hmm. see the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a, I did a 10-minute video about um, Gene Simmons that was a, a, a pilot for a TV show that never quite came together that was going to be maybe a little like The Kid Stays in the Picture. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was... Oh, yeah. Robert Evans. Sure. Yeah, well, and, you know, and that's an amazing, Love amazing, it. amazing movie, and it is not necessarily a hundred percent confirmed that this is the way all these things happened. It's right. a, it's a memoir kind of. It's right. a funhouse yeah. trip through Robert Evans' mind and his his experience, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, the Gene Simmons thing was, you know, let's let's look at, and it was based on his autobiography. It was like let's look at the world through mm-hmm. his eyes, um, and try to take that as far as it can go yeah um you know which is an approach i guess that you know i'm especially that i'm especially interested in mm-hmm. um and it, and it also maybe gives me a way of indulging 
you know, it, it gives me plausible deniability that I can deal with a subject, you know, and say, this not necessarily, that might be me, that mm-hmm. might not be me. Right. right, yeah. But, you know, I get to, I get to play in that world without mm-hmm. having to say, um, this is my point of view. Every scene, there's there's an impossibility. Like that, like the TV doesn't have a cord, or even something simple as like them, they like they bring too much luggage up. He like Jack meant, you know, glances over at a pile of their their luggage that they brought, and it's about the size of a car. I mean, a lot of it is jokes. Like they're they're taking the tour, they're 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 crossing the street. From the maze to go check out the garage, like a car is just about to hit them. <laughs> and then it cuts right before. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Are you a fan? First of all, are you a fan of Errol Morris? Oh, sure. So your, your films remind me a lot of Errol Morris's films, especially the way they're laid out. Like uh, Room 237 reminds me a lot of Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. Okay. Uh, the right. way the that found it, footage. Yeah. yeah, found footage and the way it's separated by mm-hmm. opi- the people with specific opinions and by the who they are and their personalities and stuff and how it's approached and mm-hmm. also by what you're just saying about plausible deniability. Like there's a little step back from the filmmaker who's like, I'm just presenting this. I'm not saying yes or no to any of this and you can make up your own mind. But there's also a little wink. There's, I feel like there's a, there's a little humor involved like Errol seems to have a great sense of humor sure um so were you influenced a lot by his movies in the past or is it or are you just a fan and this was just something that no I would say no I'd say there's a there's a real influence and you know I would take it further that the way he shot the reenactments in Thin Blue Line made a big impression on me Mm -hmm. even things as simple as a you know very simple geometrically composed shot with a black backdrop Mm-hmm. You know, like you talked about that Calumet can shot in right. um, in two three seven. Um, this directly inspired by like the milkshake tumbling. Oh, yeah, yeah. In in uh, the line. blue line. Yeah. yeah. Um, or in a brief history of time, where you show the coffee, the, the coffee cup falling off the table mm-hmm. and yeah, shattering. It, yeah. No, that stuff made a. You know, both of those qualities made a huge impression on me, and so did. You know, and and so did the kid stays in the picture. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, and the attitude of the kid stays in the picture, 
You know, and the deniability thing, it's like, you know, I guess I get to step back a little bit, but it's also these people's opinions are more interesting than mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, you know, my point of view about most subjects is, I don't know, not to, not always, you know, amazingly original. <laughs> I want let me if we can drill down just a little bit. Okay. You, you said see, the black backdrop. Sure. Uh, and the what? So and you said it elicited an emotion. What is that emotion? It's kind of like vertigo. <clears throat> oh. You know, it's kind of like confronting the void. Mm-hmm. And it goes back. And in the Astrum Hell is there too. It's like when I would see something like the the, the computer early computer graphics in the Electric Company mm-hmm. or the or their Screen Gems logo. I didn't have the words to explain it as a little kid, but it felt kind of like, like it would happen, you know, at the end of a show and before the next one, it felt almost like the cracks between, like if there was a second where the signal dropped out and then you got to see the powers that be behind the television, mm. you know, like the alien electronic dimension yeah. that's 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 con- that's controlling this machine. Mm-hmm. You're right. seeing the machine code. You're seeing through the matrix. You know, it's like your eyes open up in the matrix. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which is why, you know, there's that monologue at the end of the nightmare, and when you know Chris was saying it, um, you know, in his apartment in New York at you know one or two in the morning. I knew that was the end of the movie when he was saying, you know, this sleep paralysis has done very bad things to me and I'm afraid it might even kill me because of, you know, its, its effect on his breathing. But, I, but it's been worth it because it's allowed me to see things that other people can't see. It allows me to look beyond the veil. It's like I can see reality with the cellophane um, removed. Uh, you know, that, that was a question I was going to ask you too, is like when you have movies where you're developing a story based on other people's um, telling. Yeah. How do you know when you're done? Like it, it seemed like you would have hours and hundreds of hours of great things that you could use. Like when do you know when you're finished? Yeah, well, I don't. Know. I think that's the same thing with anything. You know, um, you know, if you know, I, I'm. I'm not a comic, but, you know, I know guys are working on their five minutes or their 30 minutes or, you know, it's like, we can just write something new. How do you know when, you know, the sets, you know, it's like, it, it kind of feels right. done. I mean, I think part of it is also about trying to narrow, narrow your focus. You know, if Room 237 was not only about people's interpretations of The Shining, but was also about the history of how they made The Shining, you know, if by by limiting the people we talk to in room 237 to audience members who had who had these ideas about what it was about it made it easier to kind of get your head around what's the point we're trying to make you know um rather than like someone who was working on set or something yeah, like cause, that cuz you know you you, you you know, there's an endless amount of things that you can talk about in relation to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, Were there more than just those five oh, pieces? Oh, there's more every day. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got Subsequent. A, yeah. I, I got an email yesterday. <laughs> he did? No, I, I yeah. Um, From someone who has an opinion that yeah, differs? 
Yeah, well, it's kind of really it's a it's another idea about the moon landing thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, my my buddy. So I asked. We asked people if they had questions for yeah, you yeah. on Facebook, and I I got a bunch. My buddy's a big uh, moon landing faked guy. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, really, his question was, and I really liked it, was why, in your opinion, why wouldn't, why couldn't, why wouldn't Steve or Stanley Kubrick put in me- hidden messages or coding into The Shining? What would prohibit him from doing so? Well, nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, lack of ambition. <laughs> lack of time. I don't think anyone's accused that guy <laughs> of a right, lack of ambition. Well, yeah, I mean, because yeah. you only have to go... You, 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 you you go to his very first film, um, uh, first feature film, Fear and Desire. Um, it's kind of it's doesn't get a lot of play. Have you guys seen it? No, I have not. It's you know it's like a World War II movie. It's like five guys go on a mission. They attack like a German base on the river, um, and he has the same actors playing the Americans and the German officers that they're attacking. Oh well, and you know unless you want to say that this is a solution to a. a a, a budgetary problem. <laughs> right, right. You have to think he's doing something metaphoric. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and secret messages has a nice ring to it, but I think we're really just talking about metaphor and allegory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost every, you know, most movies have that in them, you know. Um, True, yeah. And certainly he had them in from this first. And when he worked on, you know, and if you look at Lolita, you know, uh, there's so much wordplay and puzzle making in that movie. Um, yeah. I mean, there was in the book, right? You know, and there certainly is in the movie. You know, even things like they stay at the Enchanted Huntress Lodge, and then the there's a the play that Lolita is in. You know, I should know this, but it's it's like those words kind of refra- kind of rephrased. Got it. Um, you know, there's game playing there's metaphors there's right. wordplay there's puzzles you know lots of them mm-hmm. um you know even in you know you know you look at the, in the way the shining ends with that photograph you know it's presented as kind of a rosebud moment only you know it's not an obvious an- it's not an obvious answer to a question it's not the end of um the sixth sense right mm-hmm. right right you know it doesn't say this is what was happening all along it's a puzzle like everything, I mean, look at two thousand one. You yeah. know, it's mm-hmm. he's asking you. He's asking, he's a, he is asking you to interpret these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, right? Why wouldn't he? Of course. Uh, why? You know, w- whether the w- whether you know you can you c- you can pick and choose what you think he's saying when, but you know, it, it, I think it's pretty hard to argue that he's tr- that there are metaphors at play mm-hmm. in m- most, if not all, of his movies. So you're continually still getting people emailing you about their ideas, but when you guys were making it initially, was it like, uh, how did you find the individuals to interview? Well, you know, we started with a couple, and then we, and then some appeared as we went. Mm-hmm. You know, like John Fell Ryan is one of the guys. He came in really late. Mm-hmm. It was actually um, John Fell Ryan is interesting mm-hmm. because. Jonathan Lethem, the writer, oh, um, yeah. has written a lot about um, Stanley Kubrick, um, though he hasn't written much about The Shining. And I met him at a reading, mm-hmm. and I talked to him a little bit and corresponded with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he turned me on to... Is he the corrections? 
No, yeah. he's um, the Fortress of Solitude. Fortress of Solitude. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and another, and, and an amazing book, and one that's relevant to 237, The um, Ecstasy of Influence, where he talks about, you know, collage and plagiarism and oh, okay. remixing. Um, it's like a series of, it's a book of essays. It's a, it's okay. a, it's a great book. Check it out. And he said, you know, there's this guy in Brooklyn who's showing the shining forwards and backwards, you know, at the same time. Oh. And I said, well, that's very interesting. Yeah. You know, and for me, you know, you're asking like, how do you know when you're done? It's like, I did, you know, I had to, I had to make peace with the fact that we're not going to be able to talk about everything that people think the shining is about. And we're not going to, and we're not going to even talk about every scene in The Shining, um, but we want to try to talk about the scope of, you know, to kind of pick up some of the major ones and the different ways that people do it. And the forwards backwards thing is great because there's sort of a evolution of the way that people wrestle with The Shining. You know, first they saw it in the theater. You know, and you may see it once or twice. I think Jeffrey Cox says he saw it like twice in the theater. You know, and then people would watch it again on VHS. And then, you know, cable or Blu-ray. And then it seemed like the end of the road um, is, you know, you digitize it and you manipulate it. And you look at it in different ways and you transform it yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, Remix, so like yeah. showing it forwards and backwards, you know, right. is something that you never could have done in 1980. Right. You know, and that's like the way that people are dealing with it today. And, you know, if you saw like the chickening, people are continuing to manipulate it and add to it and squeeze it and, you know, take ownership of it yeah. you know, as a way of trying to deal with it. There was a great, like, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, you might have even seen on YouTube, someone made The Shining into a trailer oh, for sure. a dad, son. It was The Shining. It was like a really, yeah. and they used Peter Gabriel's like, just climbing up on Salisbury. Oh, Salisbury. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah, sure. No, that's great. Yeah, it was recut. Yeah, recut yeah, it to look hilarious. like a, yeah. Well, and, I, and I think that's significant. I mean, he, you know, and he picked The Shining, you know, for... You know, I, 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 I've never met the guy or talked to him, but him doing it with a... Sh I think there was a contest, you know, for doing a trailer that kind of... It, it might have oh. been as explicit as, you know, give the film a different emotional quality, or it mm -hmm. might have been just make a new trailer. But, you know, he picked The Shining. Going with The Shining is a good choice because everybody knows The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something to say that everybody knows The Shining because he was very conscious of the fact that it was going to live on VHS and you know if you want to and the whole aspect ratio letterbox thing like The Shining is like the only movie in the world where to go from the widescreen of cinema to the um, narrower screen of standard definition TV they didn't cut off the left and right sides and sometimes they do they cut off the left and right sides and then right. move across mm -hmm. oh yeah pan I've and scan yeah. what he did was to make the widescreen of the film they actually cropped the film plate of what they shot oh. originally and that's the way they typically do it like a 35 millimeter film frame is actually closer to a TV frame but in the widescreen there's a crop in there are different ways to do it with, you know, um, in anamorphic camera. or whatever. If you do it in camera. Yeah. Right, right. And sometimes you'll look at, if you have like a print of a film, mm -hmm. if you look at the top of the screen, you'll see like microphones and stuff inside. Because like the director will look through the 
eyepiece, and uh, there's marks uh, that says this is the widescreen crop, this is the TV crop. Oh. And if you're like, if you're filming something for TV, you make sure that this part of the picture is clean. Mm-hmm. You know, because because with all the light and gear, when you're making a movie, it's actually hard, I think, sometimes to get the entire film plate clean. Mm-hmm. So you so you only work within what you're going to use. Right. But he made the plan to keep the top and the bottom always clear so that they opened it up bigger for wow. VHS. Mm-hmm. So you see for the complete viewing. left and right yeah. frame that was in the-, in the theaters, but you also see a top and bottom that was cropped. Wow. So in the theater, you were missing that. Yeah, which yeah. is why you can see the helicopter shadow on oh, the well. VHS or in the DVD yeah. that you didn't see in the theater. And some people think that's a mistake or some people think it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. But it's just a way of saying it's a very complicated way of my saying that um, he was very conscious of the fact that people are going to see this movie on television mm-hmm. after it finished its theatrical run. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make the television experience as good as possible. God. And then it became one of the first like really big VHS movies. Yeah. And we had started, I can actually remember that this question started because of this trailer of the guy who used Salisbury Hill. Mm-hmm. So yes, he would use The Shining because The Shining was a movie that everybody has seen. Yeah. And I think it's also the reason that we used The Shining in 237. We could have done a movie about people's interpretations of lots of stuff. Right. But The Shining is kind of the sweet spot between like an ambitious art movie and a mainstream success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah. so Dude used it. Everybody recognized it. And I think it's an amazing demonstration of the power of music, which... Oh, yeah. Stanley Kubrick is incredibly sensitive to like when one of the interesting I don't think that we did this that we showed it in the film but during a lot of the interviews that I did people would describe Kubrick as participating in the same practice that they do like Bill Blakemore said I, kind of, I see Kubrick as sort of a journalist now, I'm a journalist and I think he's a journalist and you know I'm a historian he's a historian I'm an R, I'm this I'm he's this and in fact Jonathan Snipes mm-hmm. said I kind of see Kubrick as like the greatest um, music supervisor because mm-hmm. he has amazing taste in music that he would choose to play with the film and you know often he uses a track and that's what the track will be remembered you know thus big Zarathustra right, is yeah. now theme from 2001 right yeah well in beethoven like in um uh clockwork orange Orange, you know you know ode to joy or whatever oh and what he did to um singing in the rain yeah right (laughs) yes what he did to singing in the rain when you're talking about the this the 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 cropping stuff i was thinking like what if i I, it's also going to be this thing the next step's going to be vr right virtual reality 360 i'm just trying to picture like kubrick working in if he had been able to work in in 360 like how dense those things could have gotten but i mean it's just going to be happening like the next generation of of film is going to maybe go that way. Maybe it'll be novelty like 3D, but I think it's going to be a new area. People are, you know, pe- people are working hard. It's interesting because you know I've been watching it. I've been, I've been looking at a lot of them, and we're such at, er- at such an early stage. It's kind of fun that it's like the technology more or less works, mm-hmm. and because you know, a lot of the viewers are based on smartphones, a lot of us already have it. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're still figuring out: is this a movie, or is this a video game? Is this some other thing. Is it a kiki wipe? 
You know, like it could be <laughs> yeah. like what all of the VR stuff just feels like gimmicky. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and and I think you're right. I think for me, the most successful stuff I've seen is the simplest. Like I've seen a couple narratives which, like technically, they're doing some interesting things, but I haven't gotten involved in them. Mm-hmm. There's like a documentary that's just, I mean, it's barely a documentary. It's just like th- four or five vantage points in Syria. Like here we are in a town square. Here we are in a temple. Just going to look around and say, oh, I understand what it's like to be here. I give mm-hmm. a sense of this place. Mm-hmm. There's one of a Paul McCartney concert, you know, and I'm, you know, not the world's biggest Paul McCartney fan, but it was like a big concert. He's doing Live and Let Die. And it's like, this is what it's like to be on stage next to Paul McCartney. Oh, cool. And it's one next to him, a shot backstage, a shot from the front of the audience, mm-hmm. from behind the drum kit. It's Each one just sits there for a minute, and you're just kind of hanging out. So about the nightmare, I was reading that you experienced sleep paralysis, and that got you interested in making this, or what's the origin of that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, yes, I experienced it. Um, Are you experiencing it right now with this podcast? This would be a, a completely different sort of it. Um, but Love it. When, when it happened, it was a long time ago. You know, it was nine. It was in the nineties when the first time it happened, and y- yes, that's the reason that I decided to make a film about it. Um, though it hadn't happened recently, it, it hadn't happened, you know, within years from when I started to make it. But it's something. It is a topic that I remained interested in, and um, you know, started researching again. You know, um, as two th- as two three seven was winding up, and what was kind of amazing to me was um, how much more common it was than I thought. Because like when it happened to me. Well, when it first happened, you know, I didn't think that this was a sleep disorder of some kind. I thought that, you know, this was the devil coming to get me. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if I was looking for help, I wouldn't have looked in a psychology book or a sleep studies book. I would have, you know, looked in the Bible. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I, I didn't think that this had happened to more than you know, a half dozen cursed souls. Um, but as I started to look at you know, after I found out what it was, that there was a name for it, and there's like a chapter in the nightmare called um, It's a Thing. And it seems like for, you know, I, I've discovered that when it happens to people in a similar way, they think that this is a crazy thing that has only happened to them. And there's a comfort in knowing that it's a thing. It has a name. It happens to other people. There are suspected causes and suspected cures. Um, um, So when I started researching it again, I was just kind of astonished how many people it had happened to. And then also um, its connections to a lot of, you know, you know, both literature and history. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something to say that, you know, it's in that it's responsible for a lot of folklore, superstition, mm-hmm. religious uh, traditions, um, Frankenstein, Dracula, the succubus, um, possibly Salem. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> so are we speaking of about the sleep paralysis or the nightmarish part of it, or both? Well, both. Okay. You know, and in particular, the um, visions that you see that yeah. feel very... that. 
that, 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 that feel completely real. Yeah. Um, My anxiety level is rising drastically just talking about this because I've, I've experienced this. That's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to jump into this. I haven't necessarily had the sleep paralysis part, but I've certainly had the disembodied voices and a figure that I've seen, like a sh- the shadowy figure. Did it, what did it look like? It was a dude, tall, skinny dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and it usually has like other people. There's other people there as well. It's not just one person, but it's definitely a kind of you, I can't you can't describe I couldn't describe the face, but I could certainly tell you about the feeling sure of, mm-hmm. of having someone in your room going, get up, you know, you have to get up. We have to get out of here mm-hmm. uh, and being like, what the fuck? You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've woken up in the hallway before, like in a fighting stance. Mm-hmm. And like, oh shit, that was just a fucking dream. Like, uh-huh. but like sleepwalked into the hall. Yeah. You sleepwalk. Oh, oh so yeah. It's like almost the opposite, right? Or is sleepwalking considered I, in the same? Well, you know, I find the science kind of slippery, mm-hmm. um, and it, it it goes above my head real quick. But it makes sense to me mm-hmm. that sleepwalking is the opposite. That the mechanisms in your body to keep you from moving too much while you sleep. If they don't work well, then you're a sleepwalker. Mm-hmm. And if they work too well, you can you're have the sleep paralysis. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I also, you know, if I was if, if I was a defense attorney, if it, it, I, I might have tried a sleep paralysis defense for Oscar Pretorius ah. when he thought when you know he said that he was shooting at he was, was sure that there was an intruder in the room. Right. Oh yeah. Oscar when he Pretorius. shot when he shot his girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know and. I've got no reason to think that that's that he was suffering from sleep paralysis, but it could have been a good alibi because there are occasions like this in which you are completely certain that there's an intruder in the room. And sometimes it's a supernatural Mm -hmm. shadow person or giant spider, but other times it's like a a realistic, it's a a more normal person. Mm -hmm. Right. So Paco, did this happen multiple times for you? Oh, yeah. And on like, when's the last time it happened? Uh, probably a year ago, a couple of years ago. I've I've had to change where I sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, if I change the direction of my bed, I have a lot of sleep problems, sleep okay. issues. So, like, if I've I've noticed if I change the direction of my bed, it helps a lot. If I don't have things on my wall, it helps a lot. I, that's why in none of my bedrooms I have anything on my walls. Oh, interesting. Um, and if I, one way I can immediately cure it is sleeping on the floor. And I sleep mm. on the floor a lot. On your side or on your back? Side. Does it matter? No, always side. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but if I sleep on the floor, it never happens. Yeah, well, you know, in the movie, there were people who would try different things. Like, they would use the TV. Right. You know, and which was... That seems bad to me. <laughs> I'm a fan. I have to sleep with a fan. Huh? Or I can't sleep. You know, in, there's a Judge John Hodgman podcast where they talk about... Um, in Germany and an Asian country, there's like a superstition about having a fan on you, especially like while you're sleeping. Oh, oh. weird. Um, oh, yeah. I don't trust Germans or uh, Japanese. Well, they're, they're, they're yeah. the, enti- the entire Asian. <laughs> yes, exactly. Except for George. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I trust you. I'm not. I'm not that old school. No, you're not old fans. school. But also, like, it's like somewhere like I've been like Taiwan, where I'm like, you, I just need a fan on all the time. But I, th- I think I have heard something about that. But um, when. Did you have so? Do you have multiple cases of this happening? Well, to you? I had this one crazy, horrifying one. Mm-hmm. Ooh, do you know, tell. Well, compared to the movie, it's not that dramatic. I was in bed and I couldn't move, and this shadow person came through the wood, out of the woods, and through the door of my house, and leaned over my bed, and I thought it was going to, you know, drag oh, me no. down to hell. 
Oh, no. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this is in the 90s in Florida? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's uh, Florida, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> there you go, right? There you go. It was Marilyn Manson. What did you hear? What did he say? What did he you do? He didn't say nothing. Whoa. But you felt but I, it. I felt like he was judging me. Uh-huh. Like he was saying, hmm. You haven't done... Is this one good enough? Is, oh. Or is this one bad enough? Uh-huh. You know, it has, you know, or... or I'm attracted to this one for some reason. You know, right. There's something, you know, there's... You've been picked for some reason. Or, you know, I called it ba- due to my own, mm. you know, bad choices. You summoned yeah. the demon yeah. from the woods. And um, their skin um, was uh, like television static. They were um, tall, kind of thin these kind of thin limbs and these long uh, fingers. And they had uh, these very simple faces, almost cartoonish faces of, uh, you know, these two inky eyes and this big inky smile on their face. It's kind of, they were tickling me. Couldn't, you know, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move and I couldn't stop them. And they were laughing about it. There was kind of like laughter, like, ha ha ha, like there, you know. And bars, these two anthropomorphic things, the windows. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I just wanted to ask you about working on the Andy Kaufman recordings. You had 80 hours of audio? Yeah, and I think at the end of the day that me and Vernon Chapman uh, are the only people who've listened to all 80 hours. And, you know, what we put together, I think, was kind of an interesting project. But in a way, I wish that there was a version available where people could just hear the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Because for me, when I was, before, you know, I started cutting it, and I was just listening to see what was there. You know, I was working, I was doing like some Photoshop freelance job, and I'd listen to like four or six hours of it a day on headphones. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing form of like time travel. You know, it's because he doesn't do any, on on the original tapes, there's no place setting. He doesn't say, all right, I'm Andy Kaufman, this is the day, I'm going to mess with my friend, I'm going to do this, and here here comes George, and here comes Paco. 
he's just on and he's just doing stuff and mm-hmm. sometimes he'd, he'd play a character and mess with people mess with strangers some kind of proto-Borat stuff in a way mm-hmm. but other times it would just be on and he's recording phone conversations with like old girlfriends and his grandma or something yeah. he'd go to his grandmother's house and just talk with them you know and just record them asking him if they can make him tuna fish sandwiches or get in the car and drive to a restaurant with them mm-hmm. or you know there was a time where like his friends showed up at his house and took him to a birthday party and it's just going on in real time it's like you're spending like three hours at a birthday party and it's like the recorder is clearly like just on a table mm-hmm. and there are voices that you hear in the first couple hours and it can go on it, it would go on for hours and hours before you would know even the names of any of these people mm-hmm. and then you would eventually get to know them you know and it would be you know and you're just desperately waiting for that information the name, yeah. and it would be like such a relief when you're like that's who she is <laughs> and there would be you can like show it to Bob's Muda and be like do you know who this is or something like I, that. Was, I guess we could have but yeah. we didn't yeah. we just listened to yeah, it yeah. you know and like there's a he, he's listen, he's, he goes to Times Square when they uh, on New Year's Eve when they drop the ball I think it was 79 to 80 mm-hmm. and you know he just has it in his pocket and he's there for like two hours and again, that's just like time travel, you yeah. Because I'm listening on the headphones, and it's not edited. You know, there's, you know, there's zero production value. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, you know, it was like I was doing some mindless, you know, desktop Photoshop work that I didn't really need to think about, and my consciousness was just out of my body. I mean, it was virtual reality, mm-hmm. you know, but but in audio. Yeah. And you know, we tried to cut together something, you know, that had a little bit of an arc and you could and you had a sense of the characters and there was some comedy and some drama and some very you know disturbing um angry you know emotional confrontations uh-huh. um but listening to the 80 hours is a completely different experience and um and this came out in drag city as a double lp it was a single lp, single LP yeah yeah you know i think I think what happened was that um, you had to digitize everything and clean it up a little. Yeah, bit. well, they sent us the oh, they, they sent us digi- uh, digital versions of the tapes. I think uh-huh. um, I think his widow came to Drag City and said, "Do you think there's a record here?" Because she had you know the tapes in a box wow. for years. Yeah, and they sent it to Vernon. Yeah, because yeah. he had done. They released his amazing movie, the um, Flesh one, Final, Final Flesh, Flesh oh which I've God. not seen. Oh, it is. He comes up. I think maybe Bill even brought him up. Yeah, you know Vernon Chapman. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Water Shows. Water Shows yeah. and Heart She Holler. Yeah. And I think Wonder he's working Shows on Louis's show too. He's yeah, and he works yeah. On, on both the Louis show and mm-hmm. on the um, that new one. He's an incredible, you know, incredible heroic guy. Um, and um, and then he ha- so he produced it and he was you know he was the guiding hand and I would edit it mm-hmm. and organize it and kind of, it was a similar process as two three seven where you yeah. know it would be like all right here's the bit where like he's at the Empire State Building you know ha- asking people if this is where King Kong died and he's doing sort of a foreign man <laughs> Latka character and making himself you know a complete pain in the ass yeah yeah you know and Vernon said well maybe cut together a sequence about the King Kong and let's mm-hmm. see what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like we would we would notate it too, you mm-hmm. know, and it'd be like King Kong stars here at tape fourteen, side two, mm-hmm. twenty seven minutes and continue, you know, till you know, another cassette and a half side. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes there'd just be an hour of nothing. <laughs> but really just ambient chit chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and every once in a while it would kick in, you know, yeah. and come into focus. You know, um, did he ever have it on during like a Letterman 
he was on Letterman or anything like that? No, but he had it on when he was... There were, like, some interviews that he would do that, like, you would like you'd hear the reporter oh, asking journalist, questions. Right, yeah. 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 And so, so, so there was some of that kind of stuff. Um... And he would talk. He would talk about like getting something ready for Letterman. Um, there's an amazing section, you know, where he talk, where you know, where he talks about like a movie he wants to do, and kind of goes into detail. That's um, so cool. But you know, Vernon had a really had had a really smart vision for it. You know, he said there is the idea here is let's make the comedy. Let's pull from this the comedy album he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Let's not. Like there's things that could be of documentary interest to mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman historians. That's not the project, right? Right. You know, there's other things that other people might be able to get from this stuff, mm-hmm. but that's not what we're doing. We're trying to make the comedy. We're trying to yeah. extract the comedy album that was yeah. that he talks explicitly about wanting to make. Okay. On the tapes. Yeah. That's Very awesome. Good. Well, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Oh, sure. Thank Great you. to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Look forward to seeing your next project. You have so many interesting projects you've been doing. Oh well, thanks. Yeah. Rodney Asher. All right. Yeah. George Paco. You can find Room 237 and The Nightmare on Netflix. Thanks for listening. You can find episodes of SupDoc on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please subscribe, review, and rate. For show notes or more about Paco and George's appearances, visit SupDocPodcast.com. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SupDocPodcast. We'd also like to thank Documentary News for their continued support. Please check out DocumentaryNews.com. This show is produced by Will Scoville and our theme music by David Siegel.